This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour, the week in review. Welcome to the Trumpet's weekly review of all the important news. I'm Jeremiah Jacques, standing in for Mr. Joel Hilliker, and with me is our panel. Here in the studio in Edmond, Oklahoma, is Andrew Miller. Hello. And Josh Taylor. Hello. And from our office in Ontario is Abraham Blondeau. Good day. And from our office in the UK is Mr. Richard Palmer. Good afternoon. Well, tensions across the Taiwan Strait are as high right now as they've been in many years. We spoke on the Wednesday episode of Trumpet Hour about China's outrage over U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visiting the island of Taiwan. And in the days since then, the Chinese have only grown more furious and more belligerent. To bring us up to speed on this, we'll go to Abraham Blondeau. Yes, yeah. In response to uh, Speaker of the House Pelosi's visit, China has launched a war of words and actions. Um, Their rhetoric each day seems to increase. Their foreign minister called Pelosi's visit to Taiwan manic, irresponsible, and irrational. And a lot of their state media is telling them that all these actions going on are a precursor to an invasion of Taiwan. Uh, But some of the, the most important actions that China has taken, these include... A number of cyber attacks, uh, including one on the office of the president, um, a trade ban on on many of Taiwan's most important goods. The most significant ones, though, are um, live fire drills. These are military exercises that are going to take place inside of Taiwan's territorial waters, which China has never done before. Uh, Some of the areas, they're only 10 to 20 kilometers from the coast of Taiwan. So that's a very provocative move. And they've also fired 11 DF-15 short-range ballistic missiles into the waters surrounding Taiwan, uh, which is a significant escalation as well. Um, Some of these were fired from inside of middle of of China, some from the coast. So China is just really flexing its muscles, really just showing um, how much power they have that they could unleash at a moment's notice on, on Taiwan. And they've also deployed their two aircraft carriers towards the Strait of Taiwan. So a lot of activity that's basically uh, causing uh, almost like a a blockade, an air blockade and a sea blockade of Taiwan with all this activity going on uh, right now. Yeah, this is a just a really dramatic show of force on the part of the Chinese. Um, And this visit by Nancy Pelosi, this was something that President Biden had asked her not to make, because he thought it would just kind of needlessly antagonize China. But she proceeded anyway. Do you think this was a positive sign of America's commitment to, you know, upholding democracy around the world? Or what's behind this? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question, because there does seem to be some confusion on on this visit, because as you said, President Biden discouraged it. And even since then, his State Department's been pretty mute on um, saying anything against China and all these attacks um, against Taiwan. Um, but Pelosi herself, she's been pro-Taiwan for a long time. She's an investor in Taiwan as well. Um, so there does seem to be a, kind of a, a split on between Pelosi's agenda and Biden's agenda. Um, on the surface, this certainly looks like 
a very positive step in America's show of support for Taiwan. The, the problem is, is that if the U.S. government isn't going to back up Pelosi's visit with any action or tangible consequences for China, then it, it, in fact, it only aggravated China and it could lead to just maybe inducing Taiwan's demise sooner than it would have happened before. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes in, as the days go by. But what we know from this radical left administration is that almost everything they do on the foreign policy stage backfires. And so we can I think we can expect that as much as this was a positive um, diplomatic step for um, American support for Taiwan, um, the fact is America doesn't have the capability to really help Taiwan if China did use its force in a, in a full-scale invasion or even a blockade of Taiwan. Uh, they just don't have the capability anymore. In fact, this some commentators are saying this could be a Cuban Missile Crisis-style conflict that will develop. Mm. And David Pine at National Interest, he had a good quote. He said, uh, accordingly, the main difference with this nuclear power standoff is that it it would not be the United States with overwhelming theater, nuclear, and naval superiori- superiority, but China. This would greatly increase the chances that such a standoff would not end favorably for the United States, end quote. So as much as this was a good diplomatic move, maybe in some ways, um, it, it kind of undercuts America's power in the long run because... They, they just don't have the capability to stop China, uh, much like America wasn't really in a position to stop Russia invading Ukraine. It's a it's a there are some parallels between the two. Yeah. And, and as positive as this move looks on the surface, there are also in the big picture indications that uh, this will not be enough in the long run to keep Taiwan free. That's right. And. Uh, You point this out in the article that came on the website this week uh, called China Pledges Targeted Military Actions as Revenge for Pelosi's Taiwan Visit. And in there, you point out what um, Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry wrote in 1998, basically saying that Taiwan is destined to become a part of mainland China. That's the way it looks with everything going on with the uh, decline of American power abroad. Um, in the 90s, but even now it's worse. And you wrote that uh, when Mr. Flory said that 24 years ago, it didn't seem likely that China could conquer Taiwan. But today, it seems almost likely. Even uh, commentators without the benefit of Bible prophecy are saying it could probably happen. Um, So if we look at the big picture with the help of Bible prophecy, uh, especially taking into account what Mr. Flory has written over the years, it does seem in the long run that Taiwan will become part of China. doesn't matter how many visits Pelosi makes to Taiwan. Um, but that's just a consequence of, of prophecy, America's declining power, and the rise of, of China as one of the kings of the East. The name of that article, once again, is China Pledges Targeted Military Actions as Revenge for Pelosi's Taiwan Visit. So please take a look at that on thetrumpet.com or in our show notes for today's episode if you'd like to understand more about the big picture of this story and the future for Taiwan. Thanks very much for that, Abraham. For the next story, we'll stay on the topic of China 
and look at the way the Chinese are increasingly supporting Iran in unlawful ways. To tell us about this, we'll go to Josh Taylor. Yeah, for years, the Chinese have been buying uh, oil from Iran illegally. And for the most part, the Biden administration has just been turning a blind eye to it. But this week, we had an interesting development where on Monday, August 1st, the U.S. imposed sanctions on several international companies uh, responsible for the illegal sale of Iranian oil to East Asia. Four out of the six companies were based in Hong Kong in China, one in Singapore and one in the United Arab Emirates. So just looking at it from the outside, this looks like a pretty big development. It seems like the Biden administration is starting to really toughen up on Iran, on China and on these illegal oil deals because Iran is an oil producing nation. This is where it gets most of its economic output is through these uh, illegal oil exports. And in addition to these companies, the U.S. Department of Treasury also imposed further sanctions on Iran's Persian Gulf Petrochemical Industry Commercial Company, uh, which is responsible for half of Iran's total petrochemical exports. So in response to the to these new sanctions, Iran's foreign minister announced that Iran would start feeding gas into hundreds of new generation centrifuges as of Monday night. So the gas that's being fed into these new centrifuges are is uranium hexafluoride, which is the raw material for a highly enriched uranium. Yeah, so uh, it looks like the Biden administration is trying to at least make an appearance of showing some teeth to Iran, as you said there. What can you tell us about the timing of these new sanctions from the U.S. and also about any other anti-Iran measures that uh, America is taking? Another thing that they did this week was the United States sold uh, the Saudis and the uh, Emiratis several billions of dollars worth of anti-missile defense systems and and uh, missiles themselves specifically for the patriot anti-missile system and then the ther- uh, terminal high altitude area defense missile system which they sold to the uae again looking at this from by itself would seem like a big move but these are the same kinds of defense systems that i uh the biden administration actually pulled out of saudi arabia and the uae earlier this year despite the saudi arabians uh protestations for them doing that because they're still being attacked by Iran's proxies, the Houthis, uh, south of them, missiles, drones, even from um, uh, southern Iran as well. So the Saudis were not too pleased that Biden pulled these out, and now he's sending them back again and selling it to them again. So you can imagine the Saudis aren't too pleased that they're having to rebuy this equipment. Well, rebuy is probably not the word. Um, Having to buy equipment the U.S. had already provided, but that's, so it's just, it's not what you would think it is on the outside looking at it. It looks like a great thing, like they're really counting Iran, but they're just putting back into place something that was already there. And this speaks to what this all, what it really is. These All these measures, they're just a show from the Biden administration. It's not really any effective measure against Iran because it seems like this happens every single week. We're going into new talks again, another round of talks. This is like probably the 3,000, 4,000th time they've done this in the last year. And at this point, everyone's already so jaded that even the U.S. Special Envoy for Iran, Robert Malley, who was responsible for the previous nuclear deal, he isn't expecting anything to come of these talks. And even the Iranians are being very jaded about any results coming from this. For Everyone knows that these talks for the, uh, against the Iran's nuclear deal have completely failed. And at this point, it's just there. It's just a show. They're just doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah, it really looks like a bit of a 
foreign policy whiplash on the part of the United States in a way, going back and forth on on some of those weapons systems. Um, what would you say is the importance of this story in terms of Bible prophecy, and what literature would you recommend for listeners who would like to better understand that? This foreign policy that we're seeing from the United States, specifically the, the Biden administration, it's a continuation of uh, Barack Obama. It's just basically, as we've said so many times, Barack Obama's third term. And as Mr. Flurry ha- talks about in his newly expanded book, he explains that the goal of this administration, the the Joe Biden Obama administration, is to destroy the United States, destroy Britain, and destroy the little nation of Israel, and to blot them out completely. And this is the same goal that the radical Islamic leaders in Iran have. They've called death to America, chanted death to Israel several times. They call America big Satan, Israel the little Satan, and they want to obliterate us. And they're, that's what this nuclear program is for. So. That's why Obama authored the original nuclear deal, as Mr. Flurry explains, giving Iran millions of dollars in cash and a clear path to nuclear weapons. And that's why these talks have gone on for so long without anything happening, because it's all a show just allowing Iran to get this nuclear weapon and just running cover, almost a smokescreen for them this entire time. And as for literature, I would recommend uh, Mr. Flurry's book, The King of the South, and also his newly expanded book America Under Attack. We will leave links to both of those in the show notes for today's program. Thanks very much for that, Joshua. For the next segment, we'll turn our attention to the United Kingdom, where authorities arrested a man for an anti-LGBT internet post. For this, we'll go to Mr. Richard Palmer. Yes, this is a new story that has um, captured a lot of international attention. There was... um, well, it was originally a leader of the Reclaim Party, a, a minor political party. He kind of uh, tweeted what I thought was actually quite funny. Um, during June, which was Pride Month, they were putting these homosexual pride flags absolutely everywhere. Uh, and his p- tweet was just a picture that showed if you put four of these flags together, they make a swastika. Uh, and then uh, someone else apparently thought it was rather funny and they they retweeted it or posted it, or I think they might have even posted it on a different social media site, but they they then shared another version of, of the email or of the of the image. Somebody, I guess, saw that and thought, oh, someone on the internet is saying that the LGB is comparing the LGBTQ movement to Nazis. Well, I need to deal with this. Obviously, we need to send in the Gestapo, and that will show them. So they sent in the police. Eventually, a number of pe- different people were arrested, uh, including the individual that shared the post. Interestingly, not not the leader of the political party that created the post in the first place. He mm-hmm. was not arrested. Um, it's just weird. And then, of course, it got a lot of headlines. Even the, the local kind of police and crime commissioner spoke out against it, saying, well, look, the police don't always show up when there's a burglary why do we have two police visits and arrests for a tweet that offended someone while uh, while we don't have enough police to go around and deal with theft? Right. Yeah, this is really bizarre. You know, you've got a man here saying the radical leftists are becoming authoritarian. And so the leftists respond with this, what appears to be an unlawful arrest and really prove that he was right. Um, what what do you think this incident tells us about British culture in general in 2022? Well, it kind of reminds me, I'm trying to uh, 
remember we had an upside down world trumpet issue uh several years ago uh with the cover story for that was just called the upside down world it was an article by uh Mr. joel hilliker just talking about uh just a ridiculous story i mean it even started with a story from the uk where um a street preacher was, was out there preaching from the bible uh you know, read a verse about homosexuality being a sin and he got thrown in jail uh and uh you know all, all of these kind of just absolute complete nonsense stories where you know they, they, they just really don't make they really just don't make any sense but that article connects and it lists a lot of those stories which I don't know. That was that was published a number of years ago. Where was it? That was over ten years ago now. Some of the stories that seemed insane in 2010 seem relatively normal by now. Yeah. Uh, we've just kind of moved on so much. But it takes that story and it connects it with just biblical reality that we live in a world that is deceived. We live in a world where the Bible talks about um, you know, evil spiritual influences. The Bible has a lot to say about a devil. Uh, it says that the devil is the God of this world, that he blinds the minds of people, but then also that things are getting worse, that you have a situation that is escalating, that that, that deception is getting worse. And so you're starting to see some of just the absolute extremes of this. And, you know, these stories are ridiculous. They're inf infuriating. But you know, there's also a very deliberate agenda behind all of them, that it's about you know, attacking traditional family roles. It's about creating upside down families. Ultimately, uh, it's about you know, attacking the role of the father as it's a way of attacking the role of God the father. Uh, it's all about turning everything upside down because it's a reflection of you know, Satan's hatred of whatever is right and, and good in this society. So it's a ridiculous story. It's a silly story. It's an infuriating story, but it's an exposure of a critical spiritual reality and a critical trend. Uh, and that article is the upside down world. And it, it's also a reality that Mr. Flurry's latest book, America under attack, just thoroughly delves into what it means. You know what? Okay. We say we believe the Bible or well, the Bible talks about a devil. What does that practically mean for world events? Uh, not in a kind of a conspiratorial way, but in just, oh, you know, that reality has to be affected in world events somewhere. Uh, and that book shows you exactly how that is happening. The Upside Down World is the name of that article once again. And uh, as Mr. Palmer said, we'll also include a link to America Under Attack, this newly expanded book by Trump editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry. So please take a look at our show notes for links to both of those. Thanks very much for that, Mr. Palmer. For the next story, we'll take a look at some of the ongoing inquiries into the origins of COVID-19. For this, we'll go to Andrew Miller. Yeah, we're getting more and more answers about how this COVID-19 virus originated, which is important because, I mean, I think most our listeners would agree that just the, the ripple effects of that virus, the stimulus spending, the lockdown, the masking, uh, has been one of the uh, biggest stories of the 21st century. Now, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, he's really uh, going strong right now, trying to warn everyone that they need to take advantage of the summer to get their COVID booster. Otherwise, when winter comes, they're going to get sick and they're going to be in trouble. But there's uh, another doctor out there, an optometrist who happens to be a senator as well, uh, Dr. Rand Paul, who's, uh, who's been on Fauci's case from the beginning and is finally starting to wring some answers out of him. He, uh, uh, Senator Paul had introduced a bill pretty reasonable bill 
to ban gain of function research, which is a, a euphemism for bioweapons research, uh, ban and gain of function research in China. And uh, and considering all the problems they've had with the, with, with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, it seemed like that would be a reasonable thing to do. Uh, the Democrats shot the bill down, saying that um, there wasn't any proof that gain of function research being done by the communist Chinese posed any threat, uh, and they wanted to continue doing it. And so after his bill was shot down, um, uh, Dr. Paul's really been working to prove that uh, it was American-funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan, China, that created the COVID-19 virus. And, uh, and towards that end this week, on Wednesday... They, they finally got their first Senate hearing, their first Senate hearing on gain-of-function research. And they, they got um, uh, several people to, to testify and um, found out some pretty interesting things. Uh, Senator Paul, he, he summarized, he probably summarized it better than I do. So he summarized this on, uh, on Jesse Waters' uh, Fox uh, primetime show. Where, where this is what he told, uh, this is what he said on Fox. Uh, Dr. Paul says, we learned that Dr. Fauci has been lying to us. The three scientists argued that this was dangerous research. Two of the three absolutely said it was gain of function. The third said it was dangerous and should have gone before a committee. But Dr. Fauci said, oh, we've reviewed this and the experts have looked into this and it's not gain of function, even though that wasn't true. There was a committee that was formed after 2017 to look at this dangerous research. They didn't look at this research at all because they never reviewed it. So no one reviewed this to say it wasn't gain-of-function research. They didn't review it, period. We also learned from the scientists today uh, that the committee was supposed to review these virus is secret. And so basically saying that... Um, uh, Dr. Fauci had been saying from the beginning that, well, okay, well, we aren't, we aren't doing gain-of-function research in Wuhan. Uh, and now with the Senate committee, they found, okay, actually, the, uh, the, uh, they've got several top scientists saying that they were doing gain-of-function research in Wuhan. We've actually got some of the science papers from Wuhan showing that they were doing gain-of-function research in Wuhan. And the uh, supposed committee that Dr. Fauci put together to say that they weren't doing gain-of-research all the members on it are anonymous, so we can't actually, they can't actually interrogate the the people who decided it wasn't gain of function research because we still don't know who they are, um, which makes a pretty good case that like America was doing gain of function research from the beginning, um, uh, and then Dr. Fauci had been lying about it the entire time. So for the uh, for the American Democrats to shoot this bill down, it really seems like there's a lack of, you know, a disturbing lack of curiosity on their part about getting to the heart of this question about the origins. Um, you would think that with COVID having been the deadliest pandemic in American history and with those ripple effects that you mentioned from it, and just in the interest of preventing a future outbreak, you would think there would be a more concerted effort to get to the truth. What do you think the fallout would be if it is proven that Dr. Fauci did lie under oath to Congress? I, I think he's probably sees the writing on the wall already there. Uh, his boss, Dr. Francis Collins, actually already resigned uh, late last year, early this year, sometime about that, uh, after it had been revealed that I think at least 50 employees in his department had undisclosed ties to the Communist Party of China. 
Uh, and so not only were we funding research there, they actually had spies here. Uh, and um, I think I wrote an article about that on the trumpet at the time, just making the case that Dr. Collins probably got while the getting was good. Uh, Dr. Fauci also has made some comments recently uh, indicating that he'll probably retire when Joe Biden does, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. But uh, I, I think he kind of gets the he gets the impression that if they have Trump or a, another Republican in office that can actually start uh, looking at these records, finding out who is on that secret committee, uh, it's not going to look good for him. And that's going to be some pretty negative fallout for his political career. Because, I mean, some of this stuff, some of this stuff, you'd almost think that... Um, <laughs> you could go to you could go to prison for because it's your um yeah direct lies to to congress about uh committees that said this wasn't gain of function research when it really was and and even if you even if the american government is dead set on doing gain of function research we have bio research labs like here in the states i mean the fact that they're doing this in wuhan at all is an indication that they're, they're wanting to do some of this stuff uh uh, in nations where America, where Congress doesn't have oversight. And, um, yeah, pretty shocking stuff. And, uh, we'll put, uh, two, two resources in the show notes. One, uh, is a more recent trumpet brief from, uh, uh our executive editor, Mr. Stephen Fleury entitled the greatest crime in history. Uh, just really making the point that the, the COVID lockdown and its ripple effects was, um, not only one of the greatest news stories of the 21st century, but uh, uh, premeditated by like members of the deep state in a way that actually gives it a plausible, <laughs> a plausible chance of being labeled the greatest crime in history. Uh, I think that title's a direct quote from something Tucker Carlson had said. And then we also have uh, Appendix C was the coronavirus engineered for Trump editor in chief Gerald Flurry's new book, America Under Attack, which, um, really goes through uh, a lot more detail in the evidence of what was happening in Wuhan, uh, what Dr. Fauci and the Obama administration knew and when, uh, and then tying it into um, Bible prophecies from um, Revelation 12 and uh, 2 Kings 14 about um, like an Antiochus administration uh, empowered by a malevolent spirit that's really destroying trying to destroy America from the inside. And if you view this story from that perspective, then um, a lot of these things that have happened with uh, the government funding coronavirus research that just happened to make a deadly virus that caused a lockdown that made us increase the national debt $6 trillion and destroy our economy, stop looking more and more like a Three Stooges style comedy of errors uh, and more and more like a, a like a campaign, like a treasonous campaign from the inside to deliberately hurt the nation. Yeah, there's a lot for us to keep an eye on there for sure. The Greatest Crime in History, once again, is the name of that article, and we will drop a link to that in our show notes for today's episode. Thanks very much for bringing us up to speed on that, Andrew. We'll take a short break now, and when we come back, we'll talk about increasing hostilities along Israel's borders, the latest in Russia's war on Ukraine, Germany's multiplying economic problems, and a curious trend underway with the IRS. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Trumpet Hour, the week in review. The nation of Israel is seeing a serious increase in hostilities along both its northern and southern borders. To tell us about this, we'll go back to Josh Taylor. Yeah, so on Monday, uh, the Israeli Defense Force actually arrested the leader of what's called the Palestinian Islamic Jihad Group in in a Palestinian-controlled town of Jenin. Now, this group is a uh, Hamas-style group. It's based in Gaza along with Hamas. It's the second largest armed group uh, next to Hamas, but it it does operate fairly independent of Hamas. It still does defer to Hamas, but Hamas doesn't directly control it. And just like Hamas, its main sponsor is Iran. Now, after the arrest of its its leader, uh, it has very much threatened uh, retaliation, especially if the leader has been uh, injured or hurt in any way. And uh, Israel actually took the unprecedented step of leaking footage of the of the leader, showing that he is all right, he isn't injured, he hasn't been killed, which was a rumor that was going around, uh, trying to stave off any retaliation. But there's still a pretty high chance that this group is going to retaliate, even though Hamas really doesn't want them to retaliate. Um, Israel's military has gone on high alert since the arrest on Monday. And on the last few days, it has completely shut down all the roads and rail systems near the Gaza Strip, just in preparation for any kind of retaliation. Uh, Israel's southern air defense system has also been reinforced, as well as uh, the uh, Israeli Prime Minister, Yair Lapid. He convened the security cabinet on Wednesday, just in case of any kind of uh, retaliation. And just to show how how, uh, high the tensions are right now, the head of the uh, this group's uh, Politburo, he said on Wednesday, We have every right to bomb Israel with our most advanced weapons and make the occupier pay a heavy price. We will not settle for attacking around Gaza, but we will bomb the center of the so-called state of Israel. And just like uh, Hamas, this group doesn't believe in a two-state solution. It doesn't believe in the existence of Israel. It wants to utterly wipe Israel off the map. So that was that was that by itself would have been a pretty big escalation in tensions and chaos in and around Israel. But that's just being put on top of a second uh, rise in tensions, which is coming between Israel and Hezbollah in the north over the offshore Karish oil fields. Uh, Nasrallah last week threatened that if Israel began to extract gas from that offshore oil field, that he would uh, start a war with Israel. And on Wednesday, this Wednesday, the IDF, uh, IDF officials warned that the, any failure to resolve this longstanding maritime border dispute soon is going to result in war. So Israel believes that these oil fields reside within its exact exclusive economic zone. Uh, however, Lebanon disputes this and said and claims parts of the oil field for itself. And currently, as many of our listeners know, Lebanon is going through a severe economic crisis, especially after all that they've been going through uh, from, especially after that the uh, the Beirut blast long, uh, was a couple of years ago. And because of that, and because of a whole lot of stuff, Hezbollah is being pressured internally quite heavily. So they're looking for any way to bolster their support from uh, from inside the country. And if they could go to war with Israel, that would be a good way to you know bring in support of, uh, with them as well. And but we'll have to see what happens. Um, there are several experts believe that that Nasrallah wouldn't do wouldn't go to war. That it would be stupid of him to do so. Others are claiming it would be the best thing for him. So we'll have to see where that goes. 
So for Israel, you're looking at major tensions with Hamas in the south at the same time as these hostilities are uh, almost reaching like a breaking point there with Hezbollah to the north. What would you say ties these two stories together prophetically? So prophetically, Israel is called Judah in the Bible and and throughout the especially the minor prophets later in the in the Old Testament, we see time and time again uh, end time Judah being talked about having deadly wounds or being afflicted or uh, or being pressured by outside enemies and internal enemies that is causing a lot of problems. And since this since its birth as a nation, this little Jewish state, it's been beset on all sides by enemies. And but miraculously, the nation has survived. Famously, when it was first uh, for when it was first born, it was attacked by all its Arabs and Arab neighbors. And you would think that there was not a chance that it could survive, but it did miraculously. And I use that word deliberately because God did definitely intervened, as Mr. Fleury has stressed over and over again. And even the Jews believe that God intervened, and they looked to do God, and even in their newspapers and their and in their writings have given God the credit for the miraculous victories that they have time and time again been handed to handed in the last the, the last century but we're seeing a pretty big shift here since um, within especially the, this modern era the last say two three decades israel's been shifting more and more secular more and more uh liberal more and more towards the you know the west style of secular thinking and they don't give god the credit like they used to they don't look to god as much as they used to and God, and instead they're looking toward technology and they're looking specifically toward man. And in his book, Jerusalem and Prophecy, Mr. Fleury explains that this little nation of Israel is eventually going to be, is going to be overwhelmed by threats from both inside and outside its borders. It's going to feel very overwhelmed. But instead of looking to God for help like they have done in the past, they're going to look to Germany, specifically a, a Europe led by Germany. And we're seeing that quite a bit already today with the way that Israel and Germany are building up their relations. And we see that also in Hosea 5 verse 13, where it says, When Ephraim saw his sickness in Judah, the little nation of Israel, saw his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and went and sent to King Jerob, yet he could not heal you nor cure you of your wound. And I don't, a month does not go by when I, when I don't see uh, tech companies from Israel and Germany, or even or a lot of arms companies from Israel and Germany, uh, working together, partnering together, selling each other equipment. It happens quite a bit outside of the United States. Germany is Israel's biggest military um, supporter. And Mr. Fleury writes that Israel will become lovers with the Germans. This move will lead to their destruction. It will not be the Arabs who will destroy them. The friendship between Germany and Israel will lead to one of the biggest double crosses in human history. Jerusalem in Prophecy is the name of that booklet that uh, really spells out what lies ahead for Israel. So please check out the show notes for uh, your free copy of that booklet. Thanks very much for that, Josh. We'll turn our attention now to Russia's ongoing war on Ukraine. We are now in day 163 of this illegal full-scale war of aggression. To tell us about the latest there, we'll turn it back over to Abraham. Yes, yeah, the war in Ukraine is continuing, and it seems at uh, this point we're at another slow period. Um, most wars, there's a period of fast offensives and a lot of action. Then there's a period of uh, where where the nation on the offensive solidifies their gains, and it's kind of a there's not as much going on. And so there's there's the peaks and valleys in the war. So right now it seems like we're in a, a valley 
on the ground at least not as much has been going on um but some of the events um ukraine and russia they continue to exchange missile strikes back and forth at uh, each other's infrastructure there's reports that russia might be planning an offensive in the south now after they took the eastern ukraine uh seems like they could they're building up forces around Crimea to, to push out of there. At the same time, Ukraine is doing a counterattack in the south, trying to head off that uh, impending attack. Uh, but some of the most interesting parts of what's going on is actually how the continuing conflict there is shaping the other nations around Russia and Ukraine. The, the first uh, grain shipment has left Odessa. Uh, it's in the Black Sea, and it's heading towards Turkey, Ireland, and the UK. So that was a big moment because Ukraine does supply so much wheat and, and uh, other resources to the world. Um, but at the same time, Putin is hosting Turkey's President Erdogan in Sochi today. And so you can see Turkey actually starting to grow closer to Russia, even though they're a member of NATO. And right now, they might be the most important member of NATO because they they hold the the key to the Black Sea, and uh, they're actually starting to grow closer to Russia, and they're seeking to be a mediator in a some kind of peace agreement between the two countries. So that's an important development. But the other thing is, uh, um, uh, I thought this was interesting, is that the German artillery that that Germany gave to Ukraine, Germany made a big spectacle out of oh they're really helping Ukraine, they're giving them this important equipment. And uh, one week after it was deployed, it stopped working. Um, it <laughs> so after all this, uh, all the publicity Germany got from that, um, actually, it's not helping Ukraine at all. Uh, appears to be old or wasn't well uh, maintained at the time. So the the longer it goes on, we're really seeing the nations who who were really supporting Ukraine. It's starting to cool off a little bit as. Uh, a lot of nations are dealing with important problems inside their own country. So they're starting to turn inward and not pay as, as much attention to uh, Ukraine. Yeah, really interesting about the uh, the German equipment there. You know, so much for Germany's vaunted mechanical prowess. <laughs> or it may be that they apparently uh, knew that this equipment was not quite up to par. Um, but as you said just a moment ago there, the longer this war goes on, the more some of the nations who are supporting Ukraine are experiencing that war fatigue. We know that with America, uh, the U.S. is obligated under the Budapest Memorandum to continue to provide assistance so that Ukraine can defend its borders. But it's hard to know how long Germany and some of these other nations will continue to offer their, their uh, support. Can you talk about this war a little bit in the context of Bible prophecy? Yes, absolutely. So the Bible talks about um, the, the big picture. So the day-to-day -day events, they'll, they'll keep happening, and, and we'll keep updating you on that. But the Bible prophecy gives a big picture, and I think an interesting thing we need to keep in mind is in February, uh, in the February trumpet uh, of this year, the other-in-chief had a story called, After the English-Speaking Nations Fall, What Next?, and in this article, he just explains that after the age of Britain and America are over, especially as America starts to decline, the Bible calls the next period of time the times of the Gentiles, where these nations like Russia, like China, like Germany, they, they have world power now. And they actually temporarily align against America and their allies. And so 
what we're seeing in Ukraine, just the, the savage war, um, brutality really on both sides, but especially by Russia, uh, like we, we highlighted on last week's show. This is fulfilling Bible prophecy, and this is just a preview of what's going to be happening all over the world, not just in Ukraine. It's going to happen basically in every single country in the world eventually. Uh, and Mr. Flurry writes in the article, the future is going to be dominated by leaders who act like wild, raging beasts. God is warning you all who will listen about the times of the Gentiles, end quote. So what we're seeing in Ukraine, just uh, brutality, but also just the Gentile nations, they have a strong will and they'll, they keep going at a war, a conflict, a difficult situation, much more than we're used to seeing from Israel in these last days. And so you're seeing the brutality, the will to, to keep going uh, in a conflict. And that's what's going to continue around the world. Right now, it's it's confined in Ukraine and, and some other parts of the world where maybe more used to seeing this kind of, of scenario play out. But soon it's going to keep spreading. And that's something that we need to keep in mind as we watch events unfold in uh, Ukraine. We have a booklet called Russia and China in Prophecy that uh, goes through really a lot of those big picture developments that we should be expecting uh, to happen in in great detail. So please order your free copy of Russia and China in Prophecy to better understand all of that. Thanks very much, Abraham. For the next story, we'll take a look at Germany, where a critical shipping lane is drying up in the heat. For this, we'll go back to Richard Palmer. Yes, it doesn't sound like something that would be uh, a big enough story to have on this show or that would really concern anybody uh, much at all. But the Rhine in Germany is dropping, and this has pretty significant implications for Germany's entire economy. So uh, water levels are coming down rapidly. Another, If it falls another two and a half inches, so that's not much at all. If it falls another two and a half inches, then barges will no longer be able to transit a key point on that waterway. And that is a big deal for, for Germany's economy. About 5 to 10% of Germany's freight travels on inland waterways. And in general, you know, that's the Rhine. 80% of all of that freight that goes on in Germany's inland waterways is on the Rhine. Uh, you look at the energy market, and it's even more significant. About one-third of domestic oil, gas, and coal shipping takes place along the Rhine, along this waterway that could now dry up. So, and then look at everything else going on in the world. Look at the you know, the shocks that Germany is having, the the reduction in gas they're getting from Russia, uh, the even some of the trouble of getting a hold of coal and some of these other fuels from Russia as well. Uh, and then you throw on kind of this messing up the supply chain as well. Uh, it's just yet another piece of bad economic news hitting Germany now. Yeah, it really seems like the uh, the economic troubles are multiplying there for Germany. Uh, before we let you go here, could you put Germany's economic strain in the context of Bible prophecy and, and let the listeners know what they could read to study more into that? Yes, we've long watched for economic upheaval within Germany because of the potential that has for political upheaval in Germany and all of Europe. You know, massive economic troubles lead to massive political changes. We we've seen that again and again throughout the world. Even you know, even you know, even revolutions. You know, you get the you get several bad harvests and a crashed economy, and you get the French Revolution or the Russian Revolution. 
uh, what we're looking for is not necessarily on that scale. But you see the point about the connection between some of economic upheaval and, and big changes. So I wrote an article in 2008, US economy, Germany's next crisis. Uh, but what that uh, article really goes through is how you know the potential implications for an economic crisis. And really, that article focuses on the fact that Germany's economy is very export-based. It's about gathering in raw materials and spitting out high-quality goods, apparently not high-quality um, military vehicles for Ukraine, <laughs> but uh, I guess high-quality car, luxury cars for Chinese executives. But it means that they're very dependent on world trade. And then you have something like COVID that threw up supply chain crises and problems with world trade. Then you've got uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the response with sanctions, and that's put a, a big pressure on world trade. Now you've got something simple as a river that's a trade artery drying up and not being able to use uh, to be used. These all put real pressure on Germany's economy. And one of the key, the biggest prophecies we've been watching right from the start is for political change within Europe. Uh, basically, for 80 years or so, the plain truth and then the trumpet have been warning that you're going to have Europe unite under the leadership of a powerful German leader. And economic crisis, financial crisis could play a huge role in both aspects of that. The rise of Germany under a strong leader and a shift away from the kind of uh, you know, consensus-based coalition politics that we have seen from Germany. Uh, and then Europe uniting and getting behind this leader. Both of those are big changes. Both of those require a lot of pressure. Uh, but a lot of that pressure could come from a financial crisis. It's why Mr. Armstrong wrote in 1984 that a massive banking crisis in America could suddenly result in triggering European nations to unite the new world power larger than either the Soviet Union or the US. And Mr. Flurry, Mr. Armstrong have made all kinds of comments along those lines because of the, the potential implications of this. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of economic problems within Europe and uh and within Germany. So we, it's a story to continue to watch. And that article is US economy, Germany's next crisis. Well, thanks very much for that, Mr. Palmer. For our final story of the show today, we'll discuss the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service here in the United States. They are stockpiling weapons and ammunition. To tell us about this, we'll go back to Andrew. Yeah, for about a decade now, uh, government watchdogs have been growing concerned at the growing amount of militarization of U.S. federal agencies. Uh, and that concern really came to a head this month with a, a pretty big story broken by uh, Congressman Matt Gates. Uh, he got on Fox News uh, highlighting that the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, has now bought up about 4,500 guns and 5 million rounds of ammunition. And now he's, <laughs> he's wondering, well, what are they planning on doing with all this ammo? And so uh, this is what he said on Fox News. He said, call me old-fashioned, but I thought the heaviest artillery an IRS agent would need would be a calculator. I imagine the IRS in green shades and cubicles not busting down doors and emptying Glock clips on our fellow Americans. Uh, and then shortly, shortly after he did that interview, um, Representative Gates, he actually introduced a bill to Congress called a defund the IRS bill that if passed, and it probably won't pass, would basically uh, prohibit the IRS from buying 
assault rifles and cannons and drones and uh, ammunition and instead uh, have them uh, become more reliant on uh, the FBI or the state marshal service or some other local police service uh, in the cases where they do need to arrest someone for tax evasion. But the the interesting thing is, is that Representative Gates, he's really shining a spotlight on the IRS right now, but it's far from the only uh, government agency doing this. Back in December 2020, um, there's a, an organization, a watchdog organization called American Transparency. Uh, they run the OpenTheBooks.com site, which does all sorts of reports uh, on government spending and uh, and basically the anatomy of the deep state. And they, they highlighted that in the years between 2006 and 2019, so that's uh, about a 13-year period, 103 executive agencies, not counting the Department of Defense, spent $2.7 billion on guns, ammunition, and military equipment. And uh, now you'd expect the Department of Defense to obviously spend quite a bit on guns and ammunition, uh, maybe even the FBI uh, or the Justice Department, but they're, uh, the, this report makes the point that he said there's actually now 200,000 like federal bureaucrats with firearm authority and only 182,000 soldiers in the U.S. Marine Corps. So the, the deep state now literally has more armed, uh, armed troops than the Marine Corps has soldiers. And they, they break this down, uh, this report that they, some of these agencies are quite shocking. Like who's buying this? Because uh, said like the Department of Veterans Affairs spent almost twelve million dollars on guns, ammunition, and chemical weapons. The Animal and Plant Inspection Service spent just about four million on rifles, ammunition, dart guns, night vision goggles, uh, unmanned aircraft, and the like. And even the Railroad Retirement Board spent uh, about fifty thousand on guns and ammunition. And so this is kind of one of these things where like, all right, well, border like. U.S. Customs and Border Control probably needs some firepower, but it's kind of like train robberies aren't a huge thing these days, so I don't know what the Railroad Retirement Service needs assault rifles for. Uh, and unless the Animal and Plant Inspection Service is uh, expecting a, a horrible tomato worm season such as never been seen in human history, you don't need an LP gas cannon. Um, yeah. Yeah, really surprising to hear about, you know, not just the IRS, but also so many other of these uh, federal agencies that we seldom even hear that much about just being armed to the teeth like this. Um, Andrew, you wrote an article about this for thetrumpet.com. It's called, Why Does the IRS Need 4,500 Guns and 5 Million Rounds of Ammunition? Could you talk a little bit about the big picture points that you make in the conclusion of that article? Yeah, one is from an investigative journalist who founded American Transparency, and he recently told the Epoch Times just who are these federal agents preparing to battle. Our data shows that the federal government has become a gun show that never adjourns. Taxpayers need to tell Washington that police power belongs primarily to cities and states, not the feds. Uh, and that article also quotes uh, Representative Gates once again, where he puts forth his theory, where he said, here's the Biden plan. 
disarm Americans, open the borders, empty the prisons, but rest assured they'll still collect the taxes. And if they need $725,000 worth of ammunition, apparently, to get the job done. And so both these people are strongly uh, inferring that the, uh, the Biden administration has been stockpiling guns and ammunition since the Obama era uh, in preparation of doing things that they can't get local government to do, uh, probably unconstitutional things that they, they can't get the local police to do. And so they need their own army, uh, and apparently they need their own army so big that it's bigger than the Marine Corps. Um, and uh, th that really does bring us back to a, a point we made in the first half of the show where this is a quote from uh, our editor-in-chief's book, America Under Attack, where he says, we are, bitterly, we are at a bitterly weak time in America. Lawmakers, judges, bureaucrats, and others wielding power are shockingly corrupt. Our institutions are crumbling. Our constitutional form of government is almost completely destroyed. These events give us a hard look at what these radical leftists are willing to do to seize power and stay in power. They have no respect for the rule of law. They believe they're above the law. Such contempt for the nation's founding principles is a grave threat to the republic. Uh, and that same book talks about that prophecy in Second Kings uh, 14, 26 through 28, about an end-time Jeroboam, who the, whom the book identifies as uh, Donald Trump, having to war to recover an election that was stolen from him. And so if these, uh, these deep state agents in the FBI and the CIA and other agencies helped Barack Obama steal the election from President Trump, uh, well, then that's a pretty serious crime. And you'd think someone willing to commit a crime that serious would be willing to do some pretty serious things um, to keep the con going. And so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing more and more revelations of election theft and corruption come to the fore uh, if the, uh, the, the, uh, the radical Biden administration isn't just going to give that up, but, um, but will probably put up some resistance to keep it. And that does get especially concerning uh, considering just the amount of firepower they have stockpiled over the past 10 years. We will leave a link to Andrew's article and also to Mr. Flurry's book, America Under Attack, in our show notes for today's episode. You can find links there to all of the articles and other pieces of literature that we've discussed today, and all of our literature is free. So please check those notes out to order your free copies. While we are now coming to the end of Trumpet Hour, please send any comments or questions you may have about today's episode to letters at thetrumpet.com. And thanks very much to our panel, Andrew Miller, Joshua Taylor, Abe Blondeau, and Mr. Richard Palmer. Thanks also very much to Parker Campbell for engineering and production. And we'll leave you today with these words from Marcus Aurelius. Do not indulge in dreams of having what you have not but reckon up the chief of the blessings you do possess, and then thankfully remember how you would crave for them if they were not yours. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world. Listening to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world.